Book Three, Canto One of the Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Copeland. The third book of the Fairy Queen, containing the legend of Britomartis, or of Chastity. It falls me here to write of chastity, that fairest virtue, far above the rest. For which, what needs me fetch from fairy foreign examples, it to have expressed, sith it is shrined in my sovereign's breast, and formed so lively in each perfect part, that to all ladies which if it professed, need but behold the portrait of her heart, if portrait it might be by any living art. But living art may not least part express, nor life-resembling pencil it can paint all where it suxes or praxiteles. His deedle hand would fail and greatly faint, and her perfections with his error taint. Ne poet's wit that passeth painter far in picturing the parts of beauty daint, so hard a workmanship adventured are, for fear through want of words her excellence to mar. How then shall I, apprentice of the skill that while in divinest wits did reign, presume so high to stretch mine humble quill? Yet now my luckless lot doth me constrain hereto perforce. But, O oh, dread sovereign, thus far forth pardons that that choicest wit cannot your glorious portrait figure plain, that I in colored shows may shadow it, and antique praises unto present persons fit. But if in living colors and right hue yourself you covet to see pictured, who can it do more lively or more true than that sweet verse with nectar sprinkled in which a gracious servant pictured his Cynthia, his heaven's fairest light, that with his melting sweetness ravished, and with the wonder of her beam as bright, my senses lulled are in slumber of delight. But let that same delicious poet lend a little leave unto a rustic muse to sing his mistress' praise, and let him mend, if aught amiss her liking may abuse, Nay, let his fairest Cynthia refuse in mirrors more than one herself to see, but either Gloriana let her choose, or in Belphoebe fashion it to be, in the one her rule, in the other her rare chastity. Canto One, Guyon encountereth Britomart, fair Florimel is chaste. Duessa's trains and Malacasta's champions are defaced. The famous Briton prince and fairy knight, after long ways and perilous pains endured, having their weary limbs to perfect plight restored, and sorry wounds right well recured, the fair Alma greatly were procured to make their linger sojourn and abode. But when thereto they might not be allured from seeking praise and deeds of arms abroad, they courteous conge took, and forth together yode. But the captive Decrasia he sent, because of travel long, a nigher way, with a strong guard, all rescue to prevent, and her to fairy court safe to convey, that her for witness of his hard assay, unto his fairy queen he might present, but he himself betook another way, to make more trial of his hardiment, and seek adventures as he with Prince Arthur went. Long so they travelled through wasteful ways, where dangers dwelt and perils most did won, to hunt for glory and renowned praise, Full many countries they did overrun, From the uprising to the setting sun, And many hard adventures did achieve, Of all the which they honor ever won, Seeking the weak oppressed to relieve, And to recover right for such as wrong did grieve. 
At last, as through an open plain they yode, they spied a knight that towards pricked fair, and him beside an aged squire there rode, that seemed to couch under his shield three square, as if that age bade him that burden spare, and yield it those that stouter could it wield. He them espying gan himself prepare, and on his arm address his goodly shield, that bore a lion passant in a golden field. Which seeing, good Sir Guyon, dear besought the prince of grace to let him run that turn. He granted. Then the fairy quickly wrought his poignant spear, and sharply gan to spurn his foamy steed, whose fiery feet did burn the verdant grass, as he thereon did tread. Nor did the other back his foot return, but fiercely forward came without and dread, and bent his dreadful spear against the other's head. They bin him at, and both their points arrived, but Guyon drove so furious and fell, that seemed both shield and plate it would have rived. Nathless it bore his foe not from his cell, but made him stagger, as he were not well. But Guyon's self, ere well he was aware, nigh a spear's length behind his cropper fell. Yet in his fall so well himself he bare, that mischievous mischance his life and limbs did spare. Great shame and sorrow of that fall he took, for never yet sith warlike arms he bore, and shivering spear in bloody field first shook, he found himself dishonored so sore. Ah, gentlest knight that ever armor bore, let not thee grieve dismounted to have been, and brought to ground that never was before. For not thy fault, but secret power unseen, that spear enchanted was, which laid thee on the green. But weenedst thou what white thee overthrew, much greater grief and shamefuller regret for thy hard fortune then thou wouldst renew that of a single damsel thou wert met on equal plain and there so hard beset even the famous britomart it was whom strange adventure did from britain fet to seek her lover love far sought alas whose image she had seen in venus looking-glass full of disdainful wrath he fierce uprose for to revenge that foul reproachful shame and snatching his bright sword began to close with her on foot and stoutly forward came die rather would he than endure that same which when his palmer saw he gan to fear his toward peril and untoward blame which by that new rencounter he should rear for death sate on the point of that enchanted spear and hasting towards him gan fair persuade not to provoke misfortune nor to wean his spear's default to mend with cruel blade for by his mighty science he had seen the secret virtue of that weapon keen, that mortal puissance mote not withstand, nothing on earth mote always happy been. Great hazard were it, and adventure fond, to lose long-gotten honor with one evil hand. By such good means he him discounselled from prosecuting his revenging rage, and eke the prince, like treaty handled, his wrathful will with reason to assuage, and laid the blame not to his carriage, but to his starting steed that swerved aside, and to the ill purveyance of his page that had his furnitures not firmly tied. So is his angry courage fairly pacified. Thus reconcilement was between them knit, through goodly temperance and affection chaste, and either vowed with all their power and wit to let not others' honor be defaced of friend or foe, whoever it embased ne arms to bear against the other's side, in which accord the prince was also placed, and with that golden chain of concord tied. So goodly all agreed, they forth a fair did ride. 
Oh, goodly usage of those antique times in which the sword was servant and right, when not for malice and contentious crimes, but all for praise and proof of manly might the martial brood accustomed to fight. Then honor was the meed of victory, and yet the vanquished had no despite. Let later age that noble use envy, vile rancor to avoid, and cruel circuitry. Long they thus travelled in friendly wise, through countries waste and eke well edified, seeking adventures hard to exercise their puissance, while home full dernly tried. At length they came into a forest wide, whose hideous horror and sad trembling sound full grisly seemed. Therein they long did ride, yet tract of living creatures none they found, save bears, lions, and bulls, which roamed them around. All suddenly, out of the thickest brush, upon a milk-white palfrey, all alone, a goodly lady did forby them rush, whose face did seem as clear as crystal stone, and eke through fear as white as whaler's bone. Her garments all were wrought of beaten gold, and all her steed with tinsel trappings shone, which fled so fast that nothing mote him hold, and scarce them leisure gave her passing to behold. Still as she fled, her eye she backward threw, as fearing evil that pursued her fast and her fair yellow locks behind her flew loosely dispersed with puff of every blast all as a blazing star doth far outcast its hairy beams and flaming locks dispread at sight whereof the people stand aghast but the sage wizard tells as he has read that it importunes death and doleful dreary head so as they gazed after her a while lo where a grisly foster forth did rush breathing out beastly lust her to defile his tireling jade he fiercely forth did push through thick and thin both over bank and bush in hope her to attain by hook or crook that from his gory sides the blood did gush large were his limbs and terrible his look and in his clownish hand a sharp boar-spear he shook which outrage when these gentle knights did see full of great envy and fell jealousy they stayed not to advise who first should be but all spurred after fast as they mote fly to rescue her from shameful villainy the prince and guyan equally belive herself pursued in hope to win thereby most goodly mead the fairest dame alive but after the foul foster timius did strive the whiles fair britomart whose constant mind would not so lightly follow beauty's chase erect of ladies love did stay behind and them awaited there a certain space to wait if they would turn back to that place but when she saw them gone, she forward went, as lay her journey, through that perilous pace, with steadfast courage and stout hardiment, ne evil things she feared, ne evil things she meant. At last, as nigh out of the wood she came, a stately castle far away she spied, to which her steps directly she did frame. That castle was most goodly edified, and placed for pleasure nigh that forest side. But fair before the gate, a spacious plain mantled with green itself did spread and wide on which she saw six knights that did derain fierce battle against one with cruel might and main mainly they all at once upon him laid and sore beset on every side around that nigh he breathless grew yet not dismayed nay ever to them yielded foot of ground all had he lost much blood through many a wound, but stoutly dealt his blows, and every way to which he turned it in his wrathful stound made them recoil and fly from dread decay, that none of all the six before him durst to say, like dastard curs, that having at a bay the savage beast embossed in weary chase, 
Dare not adventure on the stubborn prey, ne bite before, but roam from place to place to get a snatch when turned is his face. In such distress and doubtful jeopardy when Britomart him saw, she ran apace unto his rescue, and with earnest cry bade those same six forbear that single enemy. But to her cry they list not lend an ear, ne out the more their mighty strokes surcease, but gathering him round about more near, their direful rancor rather did increase, till that she rushing through the thickest priest, perforce disparted their compacted gyre, and soon compelled to hearken unto peace. Though gan she mildly of them to inquire the cause of their dissension and outrageous ire. Whereto that single knight did answer frame, These six would me enforce by odds of might to change my leaf, and love another dame, that death me liefer were than such despite, so unto wrong to yield my rested right, for I love one, the truest one on ground, to list me change, she therent damsel height, for whose dear sake full many a bitter stound I have endured, and tasted many a bloody wound. Certes, said she, then been ye six to blame, to ween your wrong, by force to justify, for knight to leave his lady were great shame, that faithful is, and better were to die. All loss is less, and less the infamy, than loss of love to him that loves but one. Ne may love be compelled by maestry, for soon as maestry comes, sweet love anon taketh his nimble wings, and soon away is gone. Then spake one of those six, There dwelleth here within this castle wall a lady fair, whose sovereign beauty hath no living peer, thereto so bounteous and so debonair, that never any mote with her compare. She hath ordained this law which we approve, that every knight which doth this way repair, in case he have no lady nor no love, shall do unto her service, never to remove. But if he have a lady or a love, then must he her forego with foul defame, or else with us by dint of sword approve that she is fairer than our fairest dame, as did this knight before ye hither came. Perdie, said Britomart, the choice is hard. But what reward had he that overcame? He should advance it be to high regard, said they, and have our lady's love for his reward. Therefore, a read, sir, if thou have a love. Love have I sure, quoth she, but lady none. Yet will I not from mine own love remove, ne to your lady will I service done, but wreak your wrongs wrought to this knight alone, and prove his cause. With that, her mortal spear she mightily have entered towards one, and down him smart, ere well aware he were. Then to the next she rode, and down the next did bear. Ne did she stay till three on ground she laid, that none of them himself could rear again. The fourth was by that other knight dismayed, all were he weary of his former pain, that now there do but two of six remain, which two did yield before she did them smite. Ah, said she then, now may ye all see plain that truth is strong, and true love most of might, that for his trusty servants doth so strongly fight. Too well we see, said they, and prove too well our faulty weakness and your matchless might. For thee, fair sir, yours be the damosel, which by her own law to your lot doth light, and we your liegemen faith unto your plight. So underneath her feet their swords they marred, and after her besought, well as they might, to enter in and reap the due reward. She granted, and then in they altogether fared. Long were it to describe the goodly frame and stately port of Castle Joyous, 
for so that castle hight by common name, where they were entertained with courteous and comely glee of many gracious fair ladies, and of many a gentle knight, who, through a chamber long and spacious, eftsoons them brought unto their lady's sight, that of them cleeped was the lady of delight. But for to tell the sumptuous array of that great chamber should be labor lost, for living wit, I ween, cannot display the royal riches and exceeding cost of every pillar and of every post, which all of purest bullion framed were, and with great pearls and precious stones embossed, that the bright glister of their beam as clear did sparkle forth great light, and glorious did appear. These stranger knights, through passing, forth were led into an inner room, whose royalty and rich purveyance might uneath be read mote prince's place beseems so decked to be which stately manner when as they did see the image of superfluous rioties exceeding much the state of mean degree they greatly wondered whence so sumptuous guise might be maintained and each gan diversely devise the walls were round about apparelled with costly clothes of arras and of tour in which with cunning hand was portrayed the love of venus and her paramour the fair Adonis turned to a flower, a work of rare device and wondrous wit. First did it show the bitter, baleful stour which her essayed with many a fervent fit when first her tender heart was with his beauty smit. Then, with what slights and sweet allurements she enticed the boy, as well that art she knew, and wooed him her paramour to be, now making girlands of each flower that grew to crown his golden locks with honor due now leading him into a secret shade from his beau-pairs and from bright heaven's view where him to sleep she gently would persuade or bathe him in a fountain by some covered blade and whilst he slept she over him would spread her mantle colored like the starry skies and her soft arm lay underneath his head and with ambrosial kisses bathe his eyes and whilst he bathed with her two crafty spies she secretly would search each dainty limb and throw into the well sweet rosemary's and fragrant violets and ponces trim and ever with sweet nectar she did sprinkle him so did she steal his heedless heart away and joyed his love in secret unespied but for she saw him bent to cruel play to hunt the savage beast in forest wide dreadful of danger that mote him betide she oft and oft advised him to refrain from chase of greater beasts whose brutish pride mote breed him scath unwares. But all in vain, for who can shun the chance that destiny doth ordain? Lo, where beyond he lieth languishing, deadly and gored of a great wild boar, and by his side the goddess, crubbling, makes for him endless moan, and evermore with her soft garment wipes away the gore which stains his snowy skin with hateful hue. But when she saw no help might him restore, him to a dainty flower she did transmew, which in that cloth was wrought as if it lively grew. So was that chamber clad in goodly wise, and round about it many beds were dight, as whilom was the antique world disguise, some for untimely ease, some for delight, as pleased them to use that use it might, and all was full of damsels and of squires dancing and reveling both day and night and swimming deep in sensual desires, and Cupid still amongst them kindled lustful fires, and all the while sweet music did divide her looser notes with Lydian harmony, 
and all the while sweet birds thereto applied their dainty lays and dulcet melody a caroling of love and jollity that wonder was to hear their trim consort which when those knights beheld with scornful eye they stained such lascivious disport and loathed the loose demeanour of that wanton sort thence they were brought to that great lady's view whom they found sitting on a sumptuous bed that glistered all with gold and glorious shoe as the proud persian queens accustomed she seemed a woman of great bounty head and of rare beauty saving that askance her wanton eyes ill signs of womanhead did roll too lightly and too often glance without regard of grace or comely eminence long work it were and needless to devise their goodly entertainment and great glee she caused them be led in courteous wise into a bower disarmed for to be and cheered well with wine and spicery the red cross knight was soon disarmed there but the brave maid would not disarmed be but only vented up her umbriere and so did let her goodly visage to appear as when fair cynthia in darksome night is in a noyous cloud enveloped where she may find the substance thin and light breaks forth her silver beams and her bright head discovers to the world discomfited of the poor traveller that went astray with thousand blessings she is harried such was the beauty and the shining ray with which fair britomart gave light unto the day and eke those six which lately with her fought now were disarmed and did themselves present unto her view and company unsought for they all seemed courteous and gent and all six brethren born of one parent which had them trained in all civility and goodly taught to tilt and tournament now were they liegemen to this lady free and her knight's service ought to hold of her in fee the first of them by name gardante hight a jolly person and of comely hue the second was parlante a bold knight and next to him jocante did ensue basciante did himself most courteous shew but fierce bacante seemed too fell and keen and yet in arms nocante greater grew all were fair knights and goodly well beseen but to fair britomart they all but shadows been for she was full of amiable grace and manly terror mixed therewithal that as the one stirred up affections based so the other did men's rash desires appall and hold them back that would in error fall as he that hath espied a vermil rose to which sharp thorns and briers the way forestall dare not for dread his hardy hand expose but wishing it far off his idle wish doth lose whom when the lady saw so fair a white all ignorant of her contrary sex for she her weaned a fresh and lusty knight she greatly gan enamoured to wax and with vain thoughts her falsed fancy vex her fickle heart conceived hasty fire like sparks of fire which fall in slender flecks that shortly brent into extreme desire and ransacked all her veins with passion and tire eftsoons she grew to great impatience and into terms of open outrage brust that plain discovered her incontinence ne recked she who her meaning did mistrust for she was given all to fleshly lust and poured forth in sensual delight that all regard of shame she had disgust and meet respect of honour put to flight so shameless beauty soon becomes a loathly sight fair ladies that to love captived are and chaste desires do nourish in your mind let not her fault your sweet affections mar ne blot the bounty of all womankind 
Mongst thousands good, one wanton dame to find, Amongst the roses grow some wicked weeds. For this was not to love, but lust incline, For love does always bring forth bounteous deeds, And in each gentle heart desire of honor breeds. Not so of love this looser dame did skill, But as a coal to kindle fleshly flame, Giving the bridle to her wanton will, And treading underfoot her honest name. Such love is hate, and such desire is shame. Still did she rove at her with crafty glance of her false eyes, that at her heart did aim, and told her meaning in her countenance. But Britomart dissembled it with ignorance. Supper was shortly dight, and down they sat, where they were served with all sumptuous fare, whilst fruitful Ceres and Laius fat poured out their plenty without spite or spare. Not wanted there that dainty was and rare, and a the cups their banks did overflow, and a between the cups she did prepare way to her love, and secret darts did throw. But Britomart would not such guileful message know. So when they slaked had the fervent heat of appetite with meats of every sort, the lady did fair Britomart entreat her to disarm, and with delightful sport to loose her warlike limbs and strong effort, but when she mote not thereunto be won, for she her sex under that strange purport did use to hide, and plain appearance shun, in plainer wise to tell her grievance she begun, and all at once discovered her desire with sighs and sobs and plaints and piteous grief, the outward sparks of her in-burning fire, which, spent in vain, at last she told her brief that, but if she did lend her short relief and do her comfort, she mote all gates die. But the chaste damsel, that had never brief of such malengine and fine forgery, did easily believe her strong extremity. Full easy was for her to have belief, who, by self-feeling of her feeble sex, and by long trial of the inward grief wherewith imperious love her heart did vex, could judge what pains do loving hearts perplex, who means no guile, be guiled soonest shall, and to fair semblance doth light faith annex. The bird that knows not the false fowler's call Into his hidden net full easily doth fall. For this she would not in discourteous wise Scorn the fair offer of goodwill professed, For great rebuke it is love to despise, Or rudely stain a gentle heart's request. But with fair countenance, as beseemed best, Her entertained, nath less she inly deemed her love too light To woo a wandering guest, which she misconstruing, thereby esteemed that from like inward fire that outward smoke had steamed. Therewith a while she her flit fancy fed, till she mote win fit time for her desire. But yet her wounds still inward freshly bled, and through her bones the false instilled fire did spread itself and venom close inspire. Though were the tables taken all away, and every knight and every gentle squire gan choose his dame with Basciomani gay, with whom he meant to make his sport and courtly play. Some fell to dance, some fell to hazardry, some to make love, some to make merriment, as diverse wits to diverse things apply, and all the while fair Malacasta bent her crafty engines to her close intent. By this, the eternal lamps wherewith high Jove doth light the lower world were half spent and the moist daughters of huge Atlas strove into the ocean deep to drive their weary drove. 
High time it seemed then for every wight them to betake unto their kindly rest. Eftsoons long waxen torches were in light unto their bowers to guiden every guest. Though when the Britoness saw all the rest avoided quite, she gan herself to spoil and safe commit to her soft feathered nest, where through long watch and late day's weary toil she soundly slept, and careful thoughts did quite assoil. Now, when as all the world in silence deep shrouded was, and every mortal wight was drowned in the depth of deadly sleep, fair Malacasta, whose engrieved sprite could find no rest in such perplexed plight, likely arose out of her weary bed, and under the black veil of guilty night, her with a scarlet mantle covered, that was with gold and ermines fair enveloped. Then, panting soft and trembling every joint, her fearful feet towards the bower she moved, where she for secret purpose did appoint to lodge the warlike maid unwisely loved. And to her bed approaching, first she proved whether she slept or waked. With her soft hand she softly felt if any member moved, and lent her wary ear to understand if any puff of breath or sign of scent she found which when as none she fond, with easy shift, for fear lest her unware she should upbraid, the embroidered quilt she lightly did uplift, and by her side herself she softly laid, of every finest finger's touch afraid, that any noise she made, no word she spake, but inly sighed. At last the royal maid out of her quiet slumber did awake, and changed her weary side the better ease to take, where, feeling one close couched by her side, she like leapt out of her filed bed, and to her weapon ran, in mind to gride the loathed lecher. But the dame, half dead through sudden fear and ghastly dreary head, did shriek aloud, that through the house it rung, and the whole family, therewith a dread, rashly out of their drowsed couches sprung, and to the troubled chamber all in arms did throng. And those six knights, that lady's champions, and eke the Red Cross knight, ran to the stound half-armed and half-unarmed, with them atones. Where, when confusedly they came, they found their lady lying on the senseless ground. On the other side they saw the warlike maid, all in her snow-white smock, with locks unbound, threatening the point of her avenging blade, that with so troublous terror they were all dismayed. About their lady first they flocked round, whom, having laid in comfortable couch, Shortly they reared out of her frozen swound, and afterwards they gan with foul reproach to stir up strife and troublous contact broach. But by example of the last day's loss, none of them rashly durst to her approach, nay in so glorious spoil themselves emboss, her succored eke the champion of the bloody cross. But one of those six knights, Gardante height, drew out a deadly bow and arrow keen, which forth he sent with felonous despite, and fell intent against the virgin sheen. The mortal steel stayed not, till it was seen to gore her side. Yet was the wound not deep, but lightly raised her soft silken skin, that drops of purple blood thereout did weep, which did her lily smock with stains of vermil steep. Wherewith enraged, she fiercely at them flew, and with her flaming sword about her laid, that none of them foul mischief could eschew, but with her dreadful strokes were all dismayed, here, there, and everywhere about her swayed her wrathful steel, that none mote it abide, 
and eke the red cross knight gave her good aid a joining foot to foot and side to side that in short space their foes they have quite terrified though when as all were put to shameful flight the noble britomartis her arrayed and her bright arms about her body dight for nothing would she linger there bestayed where so loose life and so ungentle trade was used of knights and ladies seeming gent so early ere the gross earth's grazy shade was all dispersed out of the firmament they took their steeds and forth upon their journey went end of book three canto one recording by thomas copeland